player or you're new to practicing solo, you've got your game plan. Now what? First, know that you're not alone. It's the fastest growing segment of the legal profession. Welcome to New Solo here on the Legal Talk Network, where you'll learn about practicing law solo. You've heard of Firm Manager. You've seen ads for Firm Manager. Now you can try Firm Manager free for 30 days at www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. Firm Manager is the web-based matter management application from LexisNexis that lets you run your practice anywhere, anytime, including your desktop, laptop, mobile phone, or iPad. Take the free 30-day trial today at www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN and spend less time focusing on clerical work and more time on practicing law. Welcome to New Soul on the Legal Talk Network. Uh, thank you for tuning into our podcast. I'm Attorney Kyle Gelcher. I'm a solo practitioner from Springfield, Massachusetts. I practice a variety of areas of law, including general civil litigation, corporate law, entertainment law, intellectual property, and consumer law. Uh, today on New Solo, we're going to talk about all the things you may not have learned in law school if you're a young lawyer and all the things you might be facing if you've left a larger firm and now you're starting out on your own or you're with colleagues in a smaller firm. Today on New Solo, we take a look at the power of blogging and a host of other topics, including marketing, rainmaking, and taking a Zen approach to the law. Joining me today is attorney Frank A. Checky, a Fort Collins, Colorado-based attorney whose practice is focused on the areas of estate planning, including wills and trusts, business law, family law, veterans affairs, and government benefits assistance. Frank writes the popular blog, The Solo Lawyer, which can be found at The Solo Lawyer. Dot blogspot.com. Welcome to New Solo, Frank. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. Let's get right down to it. Why did you start a blog, Frank? Well, initially the thought was to just start writing and publishing, but also it became a good marketing tool for my other website that I have, and it also gets you a web presence out there. It gets your name out there and potentially get you some clients. And do you think all solos should start their own blog? No, they don't. And I didn't start out doing one either. I kind of stumbled upon it, uh, just doing some reading about rainmaking and um, just, in general, the uh, marketing tactics that you can use online, uh, especially when you're starting out and you're new and people don't know who you are. And, and what kind of results has your blog produced to date? Well, because it's only two years old, it's still progressing as far as uh, visitors on the site, but one thing it has done is gotten me some emails from some folks. It also has gotten my name out there, and um, it's also been a good uh, source of traffic for my my uh, law office website. And so, uh, in order to have some content there that people can read, I think it also connects you in terms of um, uh, what people are looking for more specifically instead of just looking for an attorney. But uh, uh, the uh, the solo lawyer, the one that you mentioned, uh, the solo, solo lawyer at blogspot.com, that one in particular has an audience for attorneys. And as you already know, one thing that solo practitioners must do in order to be successful in this is to network with other attorneys, not just trying to, to find clients. And has your blog impacted your business positively then in, in a positive manner? Yes, I, I believe so. I think it, it gives... You know, not just some credibility, but also some 
um, it gives you somewhat of a niche out there in the market in terms of somebody who's not just practicing law but writing, uh, being an author of something that has some meaning or import. And so I, I do believe it does in a um, sometimes indirect way, not always directly. It does it does help, and it does have some positive attributes. And what do solos have to do to maintain their blogs and to create a buzz for their blog within the legal community? Okay, that's probably uh, the harder part of it because it does require some play on words and phrases and things that, um, of course, with you know search engine optimization and other things, um, you have to come up with some good content and um, good meta tags for your, your articles and things like that where it's not just about writing on any topic. It has to have some relevancy. It has to be something that's trending and so on. But it has to also be interesting, something that somebody would be wanting to read, something that uh, a person would be looking for when they're online. You have a very diverse blog, and you, you tackle a number of unique topics. And I, I'd like to talk about some of these topics in turn, um, starting with what you call a Zen approach to the law. What is that? What is a Zen approach to the law? Okay, um, the, the Zen approach itself is an approach that can apply to pretty much anything in life. It just so happens that uh, not just myself, but others have applied it to their work or their profession. And what it means in terms of how I view it um, is basically a more spiritual but also philosophical uh, manner and how you not just do things, but how you are. Uh, it's a manner of being. It's something that involves a fair level of introspection and also meditation, which if somebody is new to meditative techniques, there's some learning that has to go on. And so um, if you'd like a more uh, precise definition of what Zen is, I can, I can give you that. Yeah, what, it, what, it, what is it specifically then? Okay. Uh, if, if you were to go to my, my blog post here, I give a little bit of explanation, but it first um, starts with some simplicity, uh, simplifying things, and also a focus inward, or as I say in, in my blog, turning the eye inward. Uh, it, 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 it really encompasses experiential learning and wisdom uh, towards enlightenment, and uh, it's also through using uh, meditative techniques or series of mental exercises. And the uh, goal is to create a consistent flow of positive thinking. And positive thinking creates positive energy. And positive energy, therefore, leads to positive action. And positive action, of course, um, helps one gain more prosperity and meaning. And so... Really, the process involves a fair level of rediscovery, introspection, self-realization. And uh, with this particular post in mind, uh, it's about starting over. And when you start as a solo practitioner, you truly are starting over. You're, you're going on your own. Uh, it could be somewhat of a uh, uh, stressful and, and scary thing to do. And so this, this approach helps one get through a lot of the negativity and with anybody who's a uh, lawyer, even, we, we deal with a fair level of negativity already, but in starting one's own business, which being a solo practitioner is really about starting one's own business and practicing law, uh, we have to be able to overcome negativity and adversity. So that, that in a nutshell, hopefully helps answer what, 
what the Zen approach is. And it's a very interesting answer. And how does that Zen approach help, uh, especially a solo attorney, deal with the work-life balance? Right. And that's, that's the key question there. There's, there's a work-life balance. And as you know, working for somebody else, your schedule revolves around theirs more. But when it's yourself, it's about balancing your own schedule, uh, friends, family, uh, life in general. I, I myself have a wife and, and children. And so there needs to be a certain level of balance or else you lose sight of two very important things, uh, your career and your, and your family life. And so just to kind of crystallize everything there, um, you have to spend a little time every day just to yourself in order to balance those two very important things. If you don't have that time for yourself, these two things I mentioned, family and career, start to fall out of balance. And while this may sound like a, a religious thing, it's really not. It's, it's more of a... Uh, philosophical and spiritual thing that is compatible really with any religion. And I know um, it has its, its roots with Hinduism and Buddhism and its origins come from Japan, but Zen is not about uh, becoming a new religion or becoming confirmed into a new faith or religion or anything like that. You're not, you're not um, converting, uh, so to speak. You're, you're augmenting what you already believe with something that um, helps you come into better practice with it, but has some techniques that you can learn uh, that take some time. And, and to meditate five minutes a day can help get you to what, where you need to be for that balance I was speaking of earlier. How can you use the Zen approach to enhance client relations? That's, a, that's, a, that's another good question because client relations are key and also being able to get more clients, referrals, and things like that. But we have to have happy clients and, and satisfied customers, so to speak. And in, if you are a balanced individual, if you're sound spiritually, mentally, and everything, uh, you will be able to attract other people for much the same way. And I would argue, and I hope, hopefully other attorneys will agree with me, that we want to attract clients that are like our good clients. But the only way you're going to do that is if you are yourself completely sound in mind, body, and spirit. That might seem like an odd concept because people hire attorneys not because of their sound uh, mind, body, spirit on that level. They want the legal mind, the sound attorney, when they're initially looking out for an attorney or, or, or there's a good referral that you know so and so is a good attorney, but. It goes both ways, really, for what we need to do for ourselves and what we need to do to develop our practice and, uh, and be able to improve on ourselves as we go because there's going to be a lot of struggle. There's going to be a lot of challenges. And if we're out of balance, if we're not um, creating that positive flow of energy, then we may end up attracting the type of clientele we may not really want, which will mean more clientele like it. And so, as you can see, there's sort of a... a a snowball effect or cause and effect there. I want to switch topics a bit. Your blog mentions branding. Um, could you discuss what is it for someone that, that's, that's brand new that has just opened up a, a, a solo firm, and, and why is it important uh, to engage in branding? 
most places you go, you're going to probably find plenty of competition, plenty of you know mid-sized, larger, small firms, and a lot of sole practitioners. If you don't stand out from the pack, you're not going to be found. Uh, you're not going to be able to garner the type of clientele that you're looking for because you're just going to be another name, another phone number. There's there's nothing really there that's impressive of plain vanilla. You need you need to have something that will attract people to you, and the way to do that is through a, a, a strong branding that you do that's more than just a logo and an outward appearance. There's lots of trappings of the law office that you know people might expect, but really it's about the individual, about the person, how they brand themselves. And I also mentioned in the blog uh, Abraham Lincoln, who I, I happen to think is, is one of the best examples of an attorney early on that exemplifies branding. He was very successful in a sense because of the way he created this persona, uh, not just as himself, the person, but as, as the attorney and his reputation and so on. But really in terms of marketing, the, the branding of the, the solo practitioner's business or practice needs to take into account all these subtle nuances and appearances that are on the surface superficial, but they're also a representation and they're also a manifestation of maybe how this attorney practices. And it will it will mean something to certain people while it won't mean anything to others. But that's why it has to be specifically uh, targeted uh, towards the type of clientele one for. You brought up Abraham Lincoln, and you have an interesting uh, anecdote of something that he did uh, to help his solo firm. C- could you talk about that a little bit, and, and can you tell what lesson is learned from the method he used? Yes. Um, this is about um, Abraham Lincoln's railroad letters, I believe. And if you do the study about Abraham Lincoln, we don't know everything about his practice. And, you know, certainly marketing back then was very different than today. But he did something that the that the, the rules of ethics at the time allowed him to do, and that was to send letters. And he sent letters to the railroaders and was able to get their business, uh, not just because of his reputation preceded him, but he was able to effectively craft short, simple, persuasive pieces as to why they should choose him as their attorney as opposed to others. And I think that attorneys today can still do this, but the uh, the ballpark's changed a lot since then, and it's not just about letter writing. It's also about the electronic communications and other things. Uh, you know, we hear about email marketing and blogging and so on and so forth, but it's nice to get a paper letter in hand. And so I think that's still an art that can be uh, mastered today and used effectively. But Abraham Lincoln, I think he's one of the, the forerunners in doing this, and... Um, he wasn't always a, always a sole practitioner. I mean, he had partners. He was partners with um, first John Stewart, that was Mary Todd's cousin, and then another one was, was Stephen Logan. So he wasn't always on his own. But he made good associations, but he was on his own for a time, actually very very successful in the uh, Illinois Supreme Court as a sole practitioner. Uh, did a lot of work for the railroad companies at the time, a lot of transportation cases. But I think what is central to how he did things then, it doesn't really change much over time. That's why I think he's a good case in point. A lot of these things are fundamental, um, and they can be a a repeated process by others. It just needs to be customized to the individual attorney. You 
in your blog, you, you ventured into Craigslist, and I'd like to know whether it yielded your office any results, and um, if you could discuss why or, or why not it yielded any results. Okay. Some results are better than others. Of course, Craigslist being that um, it's low cost, um, it's not the, uh, the best place by any means, but there are a lot of people who are posting on there that either need an attorney for something, and they might be posting on there because they're looking for the best bargain, or there's companies just simply utilizing it, knowing that there's a wide audience. Uh, you will find oftentimes uh, where people looking for contract work, firms, larger, smaller, somewhere in the middle, are simply putting out an ad, and they'll see who's going to respond. They know they're going to get a lot of responses from Craigslist. And so... You want to do a little due diligence before um, taking work through Craigslist, just like you would with anything else through the Internet or even not necessarily even on the Internet. We have to do due diligence on the people we do business with or business for. And the good thing is that given the the uh, diversity of things that you're going to find on there, given the large number of things, there's a lot of frequencies. Okay? And because there's a lot of frequencies, it's a good place to look. And there's a lot of contract work. I found good contract work doing bankruptcy cases. And um, I found bad contract work in other areas that I just simply don't do anymore. So it took a little trial and error. But I wouldn't have found the good contract if I didn't at least explore some of the others. In your blog, you discuss building a practice in a down economy. And you list several guidelines for starting an office. And I'm going to go through them and, and we'll talk about them in turn. I, I think they're, they're very solid. Um, and, and here they are, one through seven. Do demographic research. Develop a few strong practice skills. Select good clientele. Brand yourself wisely. Network with good centers of influence. Uh, engage in target marketing and maintain a positive attitude and positive activity daily. Let's talk about these. Why is demographic research important and, and how do you undertake that? Okay. Now, depending on where you are, there's going to be a demographic that is distinct or unique to wherever you're at. I would classify that there are probably three or four different demographics. There's going to be large metropolitan there's going to be suburban, okay? There's going to be a, a small town, and there's also county, meaning you you go around a certain uh, area from all of the above, right? And so knowing what is in the area, especially if you're doing business law, corporate law, knowing what type of industry, businesses, and so on, and what type of people the uh, demographic is composed of, can help you in terms of where you want to target your advertising, first of all, but also having a good understanding of what the market looks like. There's a legal work market, okay, or a market of legal work. And it's not always a steady constant, but with certain groups, certain circles, especially business, there's usually a fairly consistent uh, flow of work that needs to be done. The question is who's going to do it? And that's that's why I would advocate for people to look very carefully and study the market, study the demographic, because you don't want to take a shotgun approach. That's going to be a waste of time and money. You want to target market everything that you do. Uh, a lot of money can be lost in blanket ads, blanket mailers or flyers, things like that, where 
I think that being a lawyer to this day is still very much a, a personal service. And uh, you need to get to know people. They need to get to know you. There has to be that trust and so on and so forth, where if you know what type of circles you want to network in or do your advertising in and get to know it in terms of effectiveness, and one way of knowing if it's effective or not to see what other people are doing. Uh, it wasn't all that long ago where Burger King put up its stores next to McDonald's. I'm not saying necessarily to do that, but McDonald's already did the demographic research and knew where to put the good locations. Now, it's obviously, restaurant business is very different than the business of practicing law, and the legal industry has different means of doing things. But... Look at where there's how, however many attorneys per people. If there's too many attorneys per people, maybe you need to tap into a different market. How do you develop a few strong practice skills? That's a good question because the legal work sometimes defines the practice skills in terms of who's willing to hire you. And some things are just going to fall where they land uh, because even with Abraham Lincoln, he took cases based on who would be willing to hire him. That's going to be part of it, but there's certifications, like board certification courses, other things that the attorney can do with their continuing legal education and other certification past law school. And though I have yet to do that, I still have picked some areas that not just fit into the current market, current economy, but are good areas to focus on because they're good in any economy. One of which is uh, later on in my, my practice life, I chose to do bankruptcy, and as, as, as everybody knows, the economy going the direction it has since uh, 2007 or so, there's a higher demand for bankruptcy. So an attorney, if they see a demand for something, they should learn it and do it. Find, find some clientele in that area, build a reputation. And so there's that one side of it. Go, go after what the market's demanding. The other side is, you know, you have to have the bread and butter law that you practice so that people are going to come to you on an ongoing basis. And really, the, some of the best practice skills, I believe, in any given market are going to be doing some estate planning. Everybody needs wills and other estate planning that, that needs to be done for them, certain documents and so on. Uh, business law, people creating small businesses, family law, I mean, unfortunately, divorce rate being at what it is, just over 50% in most areas, that family law is very good. Um, and some civil litigation. People, you know, we're a litigious society. There's always going to be work that can be done. But finding also a nice niche that you're one of the few, like tax law or, as you said, you do some um, entertainment law or something that is not common, too, is very good is because there's no less practitioners that do it. And therefore, uh, I think in, in terms of, you know, balancing your practice, having that bread and butter law and then a good specialization that there's fewer practitioners, I think that's the best way of diversifying and probably get you uh, a more steady flow of, of um, clients over any given time. We need to take a short break. When do we return? More with attorney Frank Checky. Want to stay in touch with the Legal Talk Network and get our shows automatically? RSS provides home delivery. You don't have to remember where to click. The good stuff comes right to you automatically and free. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and hit the RSS button at the top of the page. It says our podcast feeds. Now you'll be all set. 
If you like listening to New Solo, you might also like the Unbillable Hour on LegalTalkNetwork.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. Welcome back to New Solo on the Legal Talk Network. Today we're joined by attorney Frank A. Checky, a Fort Collins, Colorado-based attorney and founder of the blog, The Solo Lawyer. Welcome back. Let's get back into the questions. You mentioned getting, quote, good clientele, and I, I like that choice of vernacular uh, using the word good. I, I think it's important. Why is it important to get good clients, and how do you get good clients? Good clientele is is very important. And one of the key things, one very important thing, and I, and I can't stress it more, is good clientele in terms of people that are in your affinity group that you want to get more like them. Okay. Let me let me put it another way. There are certain people that are going to be the run of the mill client. They they come in get the services they need, you may never hear from them again. Good good clientele should be the type of clients that you want them to come back. Okay, If all you have are a certain type of clientele that's in and out, you're probably going to get more clients that are in and out. You need loyal following. You need a loyal customer base. Therefore, go after people that have a demand for a certain type of work but are successful, that are able to pay you, okay, I hate to put it that way, but money does matter. But also that you might be able to really connect well with, that maybe share an interest with you. That might be one thing. Uh, I know a lot of attorneys that meet clients at the gym or the local, you know, uh, clubs that they go to. But it's more also about being able to do business one, with one another, and that's a lot of what law practice is about. Is is not just representing somebody doing legal work for them, but doing business with them. And so being able to have a good relationship with with a type of individual or company that essentially through the affinity group that they're with are going to send you more like that. In your blog, you advise attorneys to do this, quote, network with good centers of influence, end quote. What does that mean to you? Right. A center of influence is a person or a business. It doesn't necessarily have to be a person. It usually is. And it's going to be better if it is a person. Uh, as opposed to a, a faceless entity or whatnot. And a center of influence is a person like a insurance per- person or a financial person or a um, corporate officer, business owner, uh, so on and so forth. So they're usually a person who are in a trade, in a business, okay? And they know a lot of people. And those people that they know may know a lot of people too. And in smaller communities, smaller towns, people tend to be more tightly knit and they know other people. So because you're willing to maybe send them some business, although with lawyers, you know, we're more limited in terms of referrals and such, but we, we can work with them in a professional level. could just be doing a seminar with somebody. could be uh, collaborating on something that um, is uh, like a writing piece that you're doing, and because you're not an accountant, having the CPA work with you on it would, would help improve it. And therefore, it doesn't always have to be about referring clients back and forth. It's about collaboration. It's about professional networking in a way that these people are respected. They do a good job in what they do. So they have a good reputation for the work that they do, not just themselves. But because of that, they're going to say, 
I'm willing to send you some business, and that referral is a very valuable one, not just any referral, because the, the likelihood is they could send someone like themselves. Then you get another center of influence, or you just approach people and say you're very successful in what you do, you have a good reputation, I want to work with you. And lastly, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? That's a that's a kind of a, a interesting question for me because before I even went to law school, one of the best pieces of advice someone gave to me is not to become a lawyer. And I know that sounds very odd, but it made me look into what all the things about being a lawyer um, are about and all the negative things and focusing on all the reasons not to do it. And in, and in doing that, you can come to grips with um, the, the practice of law. It's a difficult trade. We're, we're not in a trade that has high um, satisfaction rates and and so people can be very discouraged. But when you look at the reasons that uh, not to do it, you might find reasons why you truly want to and things that you enjoy, what your passions are, what gives you uh, meaning and um, purpose. And, you know, going back to uh, the, the uh, blog post, you know, starting over as an approach, one of the things about it is also that meaning and purpose I think that everybody needs. And I don't think I would necessarily be doing what I'm doing now if I didn't look at all the reasons not to do it. Well, that about does it for this edition of New Solo. Remember, you can find all of our shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also subscribe to this program through iTunes. As always, a very special thanks to my guest, Attorney Frank Checky, for joining me today. Frank, if someone wants to find out more information on today's topic, how can they reach you? They can uh, go straight to my blog. Um, the solo lawyer.blogspot.com. My email address is listed there, phone number. There's also lawyercolorado.net is another way of finding me. They have my contact information there. So go to the solo lawyer.blogspot.com or lawyercolorado.net. Okay, great. Thank you. And of course, you can contact me directly at kyle at legaltalknetwork.com. We're out of time. I would like to thank our sponsor, Firm Manager from LexisNexis. You can find out more about Firm Manager at myfirmmanager.com backslash L-T-N. Join us next time for another episode of New Solo here on the Legal Talk Network. Have a great day, everyone. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network. Its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to New Solo today. Hope you'll listen to next month's edition with attorney Cal Gelcher, right here on the Legal Talk Network. And a reminder to check out Firm Manager at myfirmmanager.com forward slash LTN. It's a business solution for lawyers created by lawyers from LexisNexis. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, 
hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.